0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles, first of all, to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 20. Revelation, chapter 20, and I want to begin to read with verse 11 and read through to verse 8 of chapter 21. in the Bible, in the New Testament. Revelation chapter 20, beginning to read at verse 11, where we read God's word as follows. Hear the word of the Lord with me. Then I, that was John then who was on the Isle of Patmos, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, Sorcerers, idolaters and all liars have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death would you then turn with me to malachi chapter 3 malachi chapter 3 it's the last book of the new testament actually it's also the last page before matthew so malachi chapter 3 The words of our text are found there. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last chapter of the, well, second last chapter of the Old Testament. And we continue to hear the word of God. Malachi chapter 3, beginning to read at verse 13. And I want to read to the end of verse 18. "'Your words have been harsh against me,' says the Lord." And yet you say, What have we spoken against you? You have said, It is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance, and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up, they even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Thus far. The reading of God's holy word may he again add his blessing to the hearing the reading and the preaching of his word again this afternoon beloved congregations of our Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon we had the blessed privilege but also the solemn obligation to administer the sacrament of baptism to little little Beatrix Johanna infant daughter of brother and sister Tim and Heidi Vogel. And if you listened as we were at the baptismal font, one of the questions that they were called to answer asked if they recognize and will honor their obligation to instruct Beatrix and cause her to be instructed in the mysteries of the kingdom. And they answered yes, and correctly so, but as any parent will tell you, that is no small task. Our children by nature are inquisitive, and if I may say it this way, they are rationalists. And by that I mean they have many questions and they want answers, they want logical answers, they want answers that make sense. And unless Beatrix is different from my children and different from most children, there will come a time when Beatrix will ask of Tim and Heidi, why? Why should I serve the Lord? What's in it for me? I see no advantage in serving the Lord, she will say. And now in the words of our text, we heard the discouraging moan of the pious, the godly within the Old Testament church saying precisely the same thing. They said, it is useless to serve the Lord. In a moment of despondency, they saw no real advantage in serving the Lord. The songwriter Asaph raises precisely the same argument in Psalm 73. Maybe you want to read that for your evening devotions. Psalm 73. He too, he felt that the Lord was unjust in allowing him to suffer. He, too thought that his unbelieving neighbors had a better time of it in life, and the struggle is that struggle is not even foreign to us it 's not unusual at all for Christians on occasion to wonder if God is really being fair to them, and what needs to impress us even more though is the fact that although that thought is a very sinful one that arises in the hearts of the children of God, yet God, in his great condescending love for his people, addresses himself to the question and he gives comforting answer. In our text of this afternoon, the church asks the question, Is it useless to serve the Lord? And the Lord answers the question, And so I want to minister God's word to you this afternoon using as my theme, the advantage in serving the Lord. And we want to see first of all that God comforts his people in that God hears the cries of his people. Then we will see that God comforts his people by writing a book of remembrance. And then finally we will see that God comforts his people in reminding them of that final distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. So God comforts his people In that God hears the cries of his people, a writing of a book of remembrance, and reminding them of that final distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. We heard the cry of the Old Testament Israel in our church. What prophet is it that we have kept the ordinances or the commandments of God? It's a very human question, it's also a very sinful and a very secular question. You see, the world in which we live by nature is very pragmatic. And by that I mean the world measures all things by results. Whatever works must be the right thing. The world is impressed by numbers. The world, and tragically sometimes even the church, measures her success in terms of numbers. The presupposition is that blessing is to be measured by way of visible results, and tragically, often without even being consciously aware of it, even the Christian church allows herself to adopt the world's measuring stick, and she determines her success in terms of numbers. Unfortunately, when the church then uses the tools of the world to measure her blessings, and the church becomes confused and despondent, And that ought not to surprise us. You see, with that kind of a spirit, then the church no longer sees through the eyes of faith, but she examines herself and the world through the eyes of doubt and unbelief. And then she looks around herself and she sees that many of the ungodly people, people who have refused to serve God, They obviously seem to fare very well in this world, while those who have meticulously honored and served the Lord, they are constantly confronted with disappointments and even hardship. The material blessings do not seem to be there in the same measure. The numbers certainly aren't there. And since there are no tangible fruits or visible results, the church then sees herself as being unsuccessful, a failure, And then logically but sinfully she begins to wonder what has it profited us that we have served the Lord. What good has it done us? Earlier in verse 17 of chapter 2 of Malachi God's people have accused God by saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Where is the God of justice? What does it profit us to serve him? Asaph came to the same conclusion in Psalm 73. I referred to it earlier. He he laments that the the world seems to be prospering, but the unbelieving world seems to be prospering. They hate God, and yet they seem to be blessed by God while he strives to serve the Lord, and yet he, he grovels here below. Life is hard for him, and it doesn't seem right to him. It doesn't seem fair to him. People but As I said earlier, the questions of Israel are not unique to them or to their time. Those questions are still with us and among us today. And even though we may not say so publicly, most Christians struggle at one time or another with the same question. And the Lord knows the innermost recesses of our human fallen hearts. He looks at us yet today when our own hearts cry out despondently, It is of no advantage for me to serve the Lord. My unbelieving neighbors are doing so well. They're healthy and wealthy. They have not a worry in the world. And life for me as a Christian is often so very difficult. And now, to such sinful thoughts, the Lord will give answer to his people. But before we open the text, we need to fix the context a moment here. And we need to keep it in our minds, first of all, that it was God's people who were being addressed here. Oh indeed, the worldling asks similar questions, but he does so. the worldling does so to taunt and to ridicule. You have perhaps had those jeers, those jeers hurled at you by unbelieving neighbors, when they confront you with their taunting, when they see you obviously hurting. When you are confronted, for instance, with a tragedy in your home, an unbelieving neighbor can be heard asking of you, "Where is your God?" What has all of your Christianity done for you lately? You claim to serve a God who loves you, but look, he just took your child away. Look how you grovel here below. You've heard those accusations, I have. You've heard those accusations from from, from unbelieving neighbors. But the dialogue here in in, in our text was not between God and the world, It was between God and the church. These were God fearing, pious men and women. They took seriously their worship and their service for the Lord. They prayed every day that they might be found faithful to the word and to the will of the Lord. And it genuinely grieved them that they so often fell short of their required godliness. They were consciously aware of their sin and in true humility, they bowed before him to confess their guilt. They were a pious, godly people. But but, but the problem was, as they looked around, their sinful fallen hearts caused them to doubt. And they began to ask, as we read in our text, what advantage does it have to serve the Lord and to walk did they say to walk as mourners in this world imagine that if you can they saw themselves burdened because of their service to the lord they saw the world joyfully marching on and they felt themselves to be as mourners the proud they said the proud the ungodly they are being blessed they are raised up. They even tempt God. They were as they were. God. They they shook their fist at God and they said, and and yet they said, they not only disobey God, they challenge Him and they, they defiantly say, "I dare you, God!" And they go free. They do what they want. They come and they go as they please. They live as they want. They give in to whatever fad or desire comes along. Their conscience knows no restriction. They fear neither God nor the devil. They give no heed to the ordinances of God. And they live their lives joyfully. While we as Christians, we are often burdened as we struggle to obey the will of the Lord. Where is the God of justice? That was the question being discussed there in Israel of old. Difficult questions indeed, congregation. Questions of doubt that trouble the souls of God's people. What is the difference really between the pious and the ungodly? What's the difference between the world and the church? The one exerts himself to serve the Lord. He denies himself so much that the world has to offer for fear of offending his God. Well, the other one lives as he pleases, does what he wants, and his conscience bothers him not at all. The pious, those who shelter under the wings of the Almighty, they do not seem to be faring better than those who deny or even defy him. So what is the difference? Would it not be more advantageous for us to to go with the flow? Would it not be easier, perhaps even better, to ignore God to reap the same benefits as the world? Have we really made the right decision in choosing to serve the Lord? That's the ultimate question here being asked, and that's the question that Beatrix will one day ask of her parents: How will Tim and Heidi how will they answer her? People got the same question troubles every believer at certain times in their lives. The question must be answered even by us here today. A failure to scripturally address this question will rob you of so much of your joy in the Lord. The question must be answered by each of us, and especially as parents. You will discover that as your children begin to mature and as you urge them to embrace the gospel promises given in their baptism, they will ask of you to Why, why should I serve the Lord? What advantage does it have for me? I see no difference between those two kingdoms. In fact, it seems to me it seems to me that the world has a better time of it in this life. So tell me then, Dad, tell me, Mom, what advantage does it have for me to serve the Lord? How will you answer them, Tim and Heidi, how will you answer Beatrix? When she begins to wrestle and confront you with this question, how will you answer her? You'll need to be able to answer from scripture and with conviction that it is only service in the Lord that will bring true and abiding blessedness. But you will also need to be able to tell her why that is so. Congregation, when we wrestle with such questions and when we fail to address them scripturally, Then our service for the Lord will become burdensome. And not only will your own children fail to see why they should embrace the Lord, but also you yourself will no longer be a light in this dark world. Then even your unbelieving neighbors will see only your downcast, burdensome life, and they will see nothing in you that would attract them also to serving the Lord. And finally, such doubts when left to breed within our hearts Will be that slippery slope that leads to our own destruction. A man, a woman, or even a child who no longer experiences blessedness in serving the Lord, one who no longer knows of the advantage in serving the Lord, finally will become an instrument in the hands of Satan. God, in his great love, knowing that such doubts are not foreign to his children, he addresses them and he gives answer here in our text. Listen to him with me. We read, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and meditate upon his name. And now we need to walk carefully for a few minutes and capture what the Spirit would say to the church here this afternoon. What we need to grasp here, first of all, is that you would be hearing me all wrong if you understood me to be saying that we are to serve the Lord for our advantage, first of all. No, our service in his name must be first of all for him and for his glory. After all, that's why man was created. You've heard me say that many times. What's the chief end of man? Why is he here? Why is he created? Why did God create you that you might glorify God and serve him forever and then enjoy him forever. So our whole purpose here on this earth is that that, 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 that is to serve the Lord. And so we must not serve the Lord for our advantage, but we must serve him for his glory and honor. That's why we were created. That's his, our whole purpose on this earth. That's why we exist on this earth, to glorify God. And as a result of that, to enjoy him forever. And now having understood that then we immediately also see why we become confused when we use the world's measuring stick and judge our success in terms of assets or numbers. You see, that secular approach places man and man's benefit in the world at the center, and then we've crossed over into unbelief. The Christian may never be motivated to worship or to serve the Lord for personal advantage or benefits. For the Christian, the question may never be what's in it for me. No, the Lord insists of us that we serve him, that we worship him, not for our sake, not for our benefit, not for our advantage. No, we are to be motivated by a desire to serve him for his sake, for his glory, and for his honor. We are to keep his commandments all of his commandments because they are his commandments and we are to keep them in order that his name may be honored and glorified by us even if it brings us no advantage even if it should bring us sad reward or even if it would be a disadvantage for us in this life to serve him but, but, but a desire to serve him for his sake does bring with it its own reward follow with me as the Lord comforts us in our text. The Lord listened to, we read, and heard the plaintive, albeit sinful, cries of his people. We are reminded again that the eye of the Lord is ever on those who fear him. He saw their difficulties. He knew of their struggles. He hears their sighs and their prayers. And the Lord answers. That's what we learn again in our text in the curious words. The Lord listened and heard Them So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord. Follow carefully now as we interpret carefully here. The book of remembrance mentioned here is not to be confused with the Lamb's book of life in which all of the names of God's elect were written. No, rather, it was a custom among the Medes and the Persians to keep a record or a book of remembrance in which was noted all significant and important events. It was a type of a personal diary, or more correctly, a personal history book. Think with me, for example, of the book of remembrance kept by the king in the history recorded in the book of Esther. There we read that the king had taken note of the fact that Mordecai had spared the king's life. He had written that incident down in his book of remembrance. And then later, when Haman, you all know the story, when Haman sought to have Mordecai killed, the king was reminded of Mordecai's devotion to the king by way of that book of remembrance. And because of what was recorded in that book, the king was reminded of Mordecai's faithfulness, and then the tables were turned. Haman was executed, Mordecai was promoted, and the Jews were spared. And it's now that kind of a book of remembrance referred to here in our text. Now we begin to understand. My dear people of God gathered with me here this afternoon in Salem. Capture this with me. Life on earth for a Christian is often called a veil of tears. Why? Because life on earth, especially for the Christian, can often be oh so difficult but the Lord keeps a record. The Lord keeps a record of every sigh, every tear, every frustration, and every anxiety suffered by the Christian because of his devotion to God and to his Christ. The Lord takes note. The Lord takes note and takes notice every time, or he takes notice of those who persevere in their faith. The Lord knows. The Lord And the Lord carefully records each time that the child of God suffers persecution or ridicule because of a refusal to participate with the world. The Lord takes note of every heartbreak suffered because you served a different God from your neighbors, your friends, perhaps even your family members. The Lord knows the way of those who serve him. The Lord knows their works and their love for him and the Lord writes it all down in his book of remembrance. That book we read, that book of remembrance was written for those who feared the Lord. People of God, what tremendous comfort is given us here in our text. On that last great day of the Lord, when that final trumpet blast shall sound, God will open his book of remembrance and he will remember every tear shed by every one of his children because of their commitment to him. And on that day, he will reward each of them according to the works recorded in that book. The ungodly according to their ungodliness and the faithful according to their works of faithfulness. Capture that with me. It so often seems that there is no difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. Actually, it often seems that God's people wind up holding the short end of the stick in this life. But the Lord remembers. The Lord takes careful note. The names and works of everyone are recorded in his book of remembrance. The Lord remembers the struggles and the prayers of his people. And that remembering of the Lord has meaning. Not only for today, but for all eternity. Follow this with me. Once again, we need to interpret carefully. All of these things recorded by our Lord. All of those good works still cannot make us right with God. We can earn absolutely nothing in the sight of God, no matter how many good works are recorded in his book. Before the face of God, on our own, we can only increase our debt and guilt daily. No, we are made right with God only through the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. It is only Christ's work, his blood, his righteousness, that can cover our sin and our guilt before the face of God. We need to take care here that we do not fall into the same error as did the Pharisees. They were convinced that if they did not participate with the world and if they kept all of the 944 laws of God, then God would be so pleased with them. My dear people of God, see to it that your hope of salvation is never placed in your own goodness. That was the fatal error of the Pharisees who thanked God that he was better than that sinful publican understand well with me here the text here is not asking how are you made right with God if that were the question we would have to answer only through the atoning work of Christ on the cross no the question here was the question here is what is the advantage in serving the Lord and then the answer echoing the word of God is oh so very much in every way for the Lord hears The Lord sees, the Lord remembers, and the Lord keeps track. He writes it all down in his book of remembrance. How do we measure that advantage in numbers and success? Oh, that's the measuring stick of the ungodly. And in his time, at least on that last great day of the Lord, to their horror, the ungodly will hear those awful words, Go away from me. I did not know you. But according to the text, all of that is so much different for the pious, for those who fear and serve him. That means then... Our serving the Lord, hear me well, our serving the Lord has eternal advantages. The Lord comforts those who fear him and obey him, even though it bring them sad reward. For the Lord says, your name is recorded in my book of remembrance. But the names of the ungodly, the names of those who seem to be faring so well in this life, their names are not recorded in my book of remembrance. How do I define that advantage? that was the question what's our advantage in serving the Lord according to Israel in the days of Malachi there didn't seem to be any advantage, their life was hard they saw no advantage. But as our text continues, God assures us that a day is coming when that advantage will be made very clear and obvious and it should be evident that that day referred to is the last great day, the day of judgment. That becomes obvious when we read the opening verses of the next chapter where we read, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the proud who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day is coming which shall burn them up. But to you, To you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. So obviously we have to do here with the day of reckoning. We have to do here with that last great day of the Lord. We have to do here with that day when that final trumpet blast shall sound and each man, each woman will be called before the bar of God's justice to give an account. And on that day, on the day of Christ returning to judge the living and the dead, on that day, God will open his book of remembrance. And God will distinguish between the righteous and the unrighteous. And on that day, God himself will put an end to all of the struggles of our faith. In that day, no one will still ask, What advantage is there to serving the Lord? For the advantage will be crystal clear for all to see. The text says it so clearly. They shall be mine, says the Lord. I will spare them who serve me as a man spares his own son who serves him. They shall be my possession. Ah, oh, my dear precious, precious people of God, how to. How do I adequately describe to you that blessing? Capture after this with me for a moment if you can. The concept is urgent. Our commitment and our faithfulness still falls so far short. Every day again we need to go to God on our knees pleading, "Oh Father, forgive me my sins again of this day. Oh, if it depended upon us, if our names were to be recorded because of our faithfulness, then God's book of remembrance would still be filled with blank pages. Oh no, your name is recorded with God only because Jesus Christ has purchased you with his own precious blood. Therefore, and only therefore, you belong to the Lord. But but it is impossible to belong to the Lord without true and saving faith. And without serving the Lord it is impossible to have saving faith. As our catechism puts it so eloquently, for those who have faith, it is impossible for them not to evidence that by bringing forth fruit, much fruit, in the service of the Lord. And all of those fruits then are recorded in God's book of remembrance. And then finally on that last great day, day, on that day of separation, The Lord will gather all of fallen humanity around him. All of those who have fared so well in the world and all of those who have struggled to serve him will be assembled before him. And God, God will look at his book and he will say publicly, this one is mine and that one is mine. I have seen his love. I have seen his devotion. He has served me. And I will spare him. As a father spares his son. That's it. That's it congregation. On that day that the Lord is preparing. The Lord will acknowledge us as his children. Imagine that day with me if you can. There we will see all of humanity standing before the Lord. We will see all of those who suffered for righteousness' sake. And we will see them bruised and bleeding. And we will see all those who had it so good and comfortable in this life. We will see the Lord with his book of remembrance in his hand. And we will see and hear the Lord separating the wheat from the chaff, the sheep from the goats. To this one, go away, I did not know you. But to that one, Welcome home, my child, go thou good and faithful servant, enter into my rest, and then it will be fully revealed not only the distinction between the world and the church, but also then will be known and seen the advantage of serving the Lord. Our text closes with the word then you shall discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not. That is to say, in that day you will see the advantage in serving the Lord. Then we will see that those who loved and served the Lord will inherit eternal life. And we will see that those who rejected him will be cast into that sea of fire to be burned as chaff. People of God, do not let your heart be troubled when you see your unrighteous neighbor prospering. Do not let Satan rob you of your joy in the Lord when you find yourself suffering so much anxiety as a Christian. Do not let the apparent success and numbers of the world bring you into confusion. Remember that the world's gain is only apparent. It is temporary. It is transient. But your advantage in serving the Lord is real. It is abiding and it is eternal. You, not they, but you, Are the Lord's possession. And he will embrace you. In his everlasting arms. He will wipe every tear from your eyes. And he will welcome you home. Or as the text says. I will make them my jewels. So then. Brother and sister Vogel. When little Beatrix Grows and matures. And when then you as parents. Then urge her to serve the Lord. With all of her heart. When she then asks you, Mama Dad, why? Why should I serve the Lord? What is the advantage? You will be able to read to her from these beautiful words from God Himself. And parents, that is true for each of us. When our children begin to ponder the advantage of serving the Lord, you can remind them of God's promises already at the baptismal font, and you can say to them, My child, my son, my daughter. The Lord has promised to be your God. He has promised that those who serve him will have their works recorded in his book of remembrance and their names will be recorded in the Lamb's book of life. He has promised to receive them as his children. He has promised to separate them from those who do not serve him. Those who serve him will be gathered with all of the sheaves into his heavenly barns of eternal glory. But those who do not will be gathered up to be burned in the lake of fire. See to it then, my child, say to your children. See to it then, my child, see to it that you strive to serve him. In fact, see to it that you serve him with great joy and thankfulness for all that he has already done for you in Christ. For the advantage of serving the Lord is divine and it is eternal. May it be so for each of us.